Hey everyone, welcome to Impact Marketer. Today's guest is former Fortune 500 business consultant with over 15 years of global consulting experience working with the big four, recently leaving his corporate job to pursue entrepreneurship, having a decade worth of experience in career development coaching, and landing his first client within his first year of going off on his own, and being able to take them from 100K per month in revenue to 400K per week in revenue, also being a published author. Please help me in welcoming Tom Wynn. Thanks, Ronnie. <laughs> <laughs> Very thanks, kind of you. Yeah, thanks for coming out, Tom. So, you know, you have so much experience in business, like we could start from anywhere and talk for hours like we already <laughs> do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you recently told me about a time with a company you work with where you took them from 100K <clears throat> per month in revenue to 400K. How did you even approach this when you had no background in this industry? Yeah, um, you know what, it all comes down to, I always say, to be a better listener, right? When you're working with a client, you don't know what the landscape, you don't know what the problem you're dealing with. So the very first step is to listen about where they are currently are today and asking better questions, right? And listen to what they have to say. <clears throat> Take an inventory of where things are at um, before you come up with any type of solution, um, and basically, what that's what I did. So when I first got brought on, I basically kind of positioned myself saying, hey, I'll help with this area. Kind of like whatever you're really good at your strength, that's what I did. I kind of put myself to work on that for their business. And it's like, no risk at all. Try it out. For Let's see how this relationship works. This just absolutely no risk. We reevaluate after a month or two. And if you want to continue to work with me, great. Right? I'm just helping a small part of their business. And then when you get to sit down and you sort of observe their business, that's when you start to ask those questions and listening, especially when they have a specific problem. <clears throat> and then so what ended up happening was looking at their business and they were growing and they were, they were having troubles with a bit of scale. And the question is, you know, why, right? Heavy lead flow, everything else, but you know what it is? It's because they haven't had the foundation to support it, the scale. So the actual fulfillment part, they kind of think about it that way. They weren't prepared. And so what we need to do, we were proactive about mapping all the process. Like I look at all their funnels, they're all from the front end, and how the customer journey feeds into the back end, and where it can potentially fail, fall, or something as you look for these gaps. So I literally had two, two, three days to map this all out. I mapped everything out, right? All the, the entry points, and then look at it, say here's, we look at it holistically, and then we try to figure out where the most critical pain points or particular particular areas that could fail, right? Points of failure. Yeah. Can you can you give an example of <clears throat> what that mapping process actually consists of? Yeah. And, so and how do you define failure? Right. So in the very beginning, like you try to identify all the all the points of failure by first off looking at the very beginning, right? It's like how do you acquire your customer, right? And like how many sales funnels do you have? You know, in this case, you know, what whether it's webinars or some kind of, you know, uh, an ad on Facebook, or whatever it may be, figure out that whole journey and figure out in that process, what is the customer going through the experience, right? And then looking at the conversion, you look at the sales. Okay, after that, then you look at the conversion rates. You know, that's where you get to all the little details. Then you look at, okay, it's gonna go to the sales team, it's gonna go to the enrollment team, you know, or maybe there's a lack of that. It's like, this have to go this half. Okay, I just identified this is a potential point of failure, right, as an example, right? And then you go through, you can just keep breaking it down piece by piece and you map it all out. 
and then you figure out, okay, where can things can drop, or things that, that where they can bleed money, right? <clears throat> or it's just like, you know, at some point of the process where it's like, shoot, we don't have anyone that, that supports it, like say customer service, you know? Or kind of uh, community that you build, right, um, in the business. <clears throat> you have the right people. Um, actually, this is a concept that, and to take a step back, there are really three things I look at when I look at when I map out the whole process: um, people, process, and technology. Right? In every business, that's where I do the evaluation. Do you have the right people in each of these spaces? Do you have the right process or lack of process in each of these areas? And then, do you have the proper technology, right, <clears throat> to support each function? Like in the case of sales, what CRM are you using? Maybe you don't, right? Maybe you have to look at, like, say, you know, regulations. Like with FTC and so forth, do you have you know, proper stuff in place? So those are our points of failure. If you don't have that, you need to figure that out, right? Oh, you know, but a lot of times when you go to a company, when you talk about something that's B2C, they're going to have to sign some kind of legal form, right? Do you have that? Where does it go, <laughs> right? So those type of things. So once you got to build that, then you know that it can support, it just flows through everything and you can start monitoring it. So without getting into the details, that's really my process understand all the pieces, understand where all the gaps are, and then prioritize where the biggest problems are, mm -hmm. and working with the client and say, of all these, what's your top three priorities right now? What top three problems you want to address now? And then when we focus on that, we do a deep dive on those problems and saying, this, this is what we need. And we come up with a few options, we talk about actions like, these are all, all the things we need, and then like we say, okay, how fast do you, need, can you, do you want to get this done? Right, and that's how we start to implement. Then you start talking about delivery and execution, and then maintaining and monitoring. So it's the same process each time. Yeah, but how do you project and execute when you haven't done it before? So it came from experience, right? It's it's a typical problem solving thing where you're like, I can't. It's like diagnosing, right? If you're a doctor, I don't know how how to prescribe you unless I know every bits and pieces of what what they're what they're experiencing. Once I understand that, I can make a decision on it, then I usually can connect you with a solution. Mm. So think about the whole process. There are a bunch of diagnoses, like you just have to have solutions for each one. So I like to do it all on paper, that let's look at holistically, and we'll attack each problem later on, but let's focus on the ones that are major pain points. So because it's from scratch, I don't know anything about you. It's how I do calls too. When you talk about you know sales or anything, I don't know anything about you. You have to erase everything that you think you know about someone, and ask the right questions to identify why you're doing this, you know, and and basically what has been preventing you from reaching your goals. You know, give me a good understanding where you're at today. Where would you like to be, right? And it's the same thing when you do type of process mapping. This is where you are today. It's broken. Where would you like to be, you know? And what are the causes of these problems, the root causes, and then you fix it. So I take every single situation. It's more about understanding the the process of solving the problem, right? Mm -hmm. I can't solve it if I don't understand it, so let me understand fully, and then we start to figure out solutions for each one. And, and something you're very talented at, and I think it's because of your high EQ, right? Because marketers are very good at looking at data. I yes. think where they fall short is they think that's the end-all, be-all. Mm -hmm. So how do you apply like your understanding of people yeah. alongside the data? Well, the first thing I always tell people about in data is data is only good if it's, if it's the right data, right? Everyone knows it's garbage in, garbage out. So that's the one thing you have to make sure that, from a data perspective, um, you can't. It can only be measured. That only comes later based on an action or activity, right? Data alone doesn't exist. 
So making decisions solely on that doesn't make sense, right? Like it has to be a particular activity that you're measuring. They always say that what doesn't get measured, measured doesn't get managed, right? So the, from a people perspective, you have to look at like the question, always ask the question why? Why do I need this data? Why do I need to collect this data? What's the bigger picture here, right? So, so many times I push back on my client when they say, I need this, I'm like, why? So I could get a view, better view of what, oh, okay, once I understood that, it's like, you don't need this data, you need this data, right? It's understanding the bigger picture, right? Because mm -hmm. a lot of times people think that's what they want, but the reality is like, it's not, because they're just thinking that's all they know. Mm -hmm. When you come from an area where of expertise, you can say, you know what, I can give you that view, but it's gonna be a different view. I think this will add you more value in this particular view versus what you just asked me for, right? So by understanding um, the, I guess the, from the way the humans are, like how we think, is like we think we know the answer, but we don't, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we don't know what we don't know. So especially when you ask someone who's an expert, say in digital marketing, right, or agencies where, you know, they have, they, they're all looking at numbers all day long. But let me ask you, what's the ultimate goal? What's the ultimate vision of this client, right? Is it conversion? Is it leads? Uh, I, I give you a very, very recent example. We were literally, um, it was a B2B client, and they said, we want, I forgot they were saying, they would say, we, we thought what the original request was, was for them to drive traffic to their business, right? Um, they sell, you know, um, you know online products. Uh, it's for in the wellness industry, and they're, they're a brand new business. They were trying to drive traffic. That's what we thought, right? And that's what we thought based on what they said. But... After the fact, when we dig deeper, long story short, we found out that it wasn't about driving traffic. It was about rebranding. So it was like, that's, now we focus our strategy to content, to exposure, to engagement. You see how that changes? Like they think they need to drive that. That ultimately would drive more traffic, but that's not really what, that's the ultimate goal, but that's not what their immediate problem is right now. Mm. See, imagine if we just took it at face value and you focus on trying to drive traffic and realize that they have a branding issue, right? Now you're sat back and did all this work for nothing because that's what he thought the client wanted. So you always have to ask the question, why? So in that example, how did you know branding was the answer over sending more traffic? Because the, the question, the whole discovery, when we went through the discovery phase of understanding their problem and understanding the complete picture, you know, I realized, let me summarize. You're only looking at rebranding. Is that right? And you're like, yes, that's it. Oh, okay. So it's like totally did not know. Like it was after we asked all these questions, but why they're doing these things, and it led to rebranding. Mm -hmm. It ultimately led to that. So it's all about digging deeper into it, just, but just better questions. Can you, can you walk me through that process? Yeah, so I would ask them, so um, why do you need to drive more traffic? Okay, well, all, we're, we're trying, we're, we're, or we're basically, um, I have to like, uh, what, did, what did it say? I can't remember. They, they started off with the driving traffic. Okay, they focus on online, and then they brought up brick and mortar. Interesting, right? Because digital marketing is all online. Yeah. And I say, I'm curious, what percent do you expect to bring this traffic into from online and brick and mortar? Can you tell me the split? And he goes, that's a good question. And he, it took him a while to think about it. He goes, 70, 30? 70 what? 70% brick and mortar, 30% online. Interesting. Like it totally just changes the trajectory of my questions, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious. Um, how do you expect, where, where do you expect to drive your traffic from? Where is the traffic coming from? See, because the whole conversation was about driving traffic, yeah. right? I thought, and you're talking about conventions and events and like um, other uh, small like uh, professional services, like medical services, like chiropractors, everything else, like in the wellness area. 
I was like, interesting. Okay, so that's your target market. So tell, tell me about your, your avatar, right? And where do they currently live today and stuff like that because we're focused on traffic. And then realizing that the questions were always leading to asking, why are you targeting them, these, these brick and mortars? Why is it important? And it's like, oh, because we're, we're changing the way our branding, our purpose, everything, our mission, everything else. Oh, okay. And then that's when it starts to get deeper into why did you, why did you change it? Right? Because of legal, regulatory type of things. And then it also came down to like, yeah. So it sounds like you're just rebranding. You're, you're in the process of rebranding. Like how you expect to drive traffic if you're still brand, brand new. That's exactly it. We're, we're in a rebranding stage. We need to get our word out. We need to let people know. It's like, ah, that's when you start to go deeper in the conversation because it's just asking those better questions about what, how, what they say and then you kind of react to it. You kind of question why. You know, why? And then you get, eventually get to... So in, in the client <clears throat> shoes, I'm going to play the client shoes. I'm just going to say, like, isn't sending paid traffic uh, a helpful tactic for rebranding. Yeah, but the thing is though is that knowing that they're early start of their rebranding is the branding has to be strong. There's no point in driving traffic if no one trusts your brand, mm. trusts your product or services because you're brand new. Like, who are you? Yeah. Um, but I've already done my due diligence, so as part of the discovery, I've already done my research about who their competition in that space, and I told them I don't see them anywhere in the top ten, top fifteen, even in the rankings of that industry. That's exactly the problem because they're in a the rebranding stage. So I was like, well, okay, so what they need from our services is to help them get exposure and build their brand, again, rebrand, uh, let people be more aware and educated. In fact, even when we got down to the three priorities, you know, when it's all said and done, they said the number one thing is education in their brand, right? They go hand in hand. They want to educate people uh, about their new brand and what the purpose is and like their products have, why they're different. Mm -hmm. Right, and then later on, it came down to, you know, revenue-driven activities where you know lead traffic and conversion, everything else. But that was their number one goal. Yeah. So I was like, okay, in the next three, six, seven, twelve months, where would you like to be? They're like, well, after twelve months, that's when you start the listening. Twelve months, we hope to be uh, getting our brand awareness in a much broader, you know, group and all that. So I was like, okay, so you're talking about the next year, which it's all about branding. So we're we're change our strategy of how we do our marketing services about. All right, you just need to work on content. You need to work on all these things to position you, and maybe we'll change your campaigns or everything to focus more on engagement and exposure, which could potentially lead to conversion, mm -hmm. but it's all about blasting it out as many different platforms, right? That's one strategy instead of one, yeah. and just get everything out there, right? Mm -hmm. So that's how, that's how it changes the whole approach. It's no longer about lead generation and doing paid traffic, it's just, it's a more different focus effort. Why are you doing paid traffic, right? Mm -hmm. It's to build that brand first. And then later on, once you figure out um, eventually what that milestone is, and then switch it to, okay, now we'll spend more money on paid traffic because now everyone knows who we are, right? That's, that's so fascinating. <coughs> that is currently where I am with my agency, producing a, a ton of content on LinkedIn, this podcast, yeah. um, and the blog. And I guess the question I have for you is, as a budding new agency that's relied on referral for clients, like how do you become a more predictable and reliable business with steady cash flow? Yeah, so you know the referral system is you know you always have to stop start there and build the foundation first, right? But you have to be more strategic about <clears throat> continuing to build your brand because <clears throat> at the end of the day, um, once you start marketing to more of the masses and make it more systemic, is you have to have enough content like you said, keep building it, get the testimonials from your clients. Have them support and sponsor you get them to refer other business in the same niche. So what I would say is that the first step before you even go that route 
is the clients you work with, you might work with different types of <coughs> clients in different niches. So identify where there's a bigger impact or where the money is, right? So for example, what if you were working with a, you know, say it's in the wellness space or the medical space or professional service space or blue collar space, I don't know, you can just name anything, right? And you realize that this is a greater need. Interesting enough, it's based on data. If you look at your clientele, see how many people dropped off and ran out of money and who still use your services. Mm-hmm. Once you identify that, then you go all in on that niche because you know that you build the greatest results and there's a higher return for it, mm-hmm. right? So then you start to do the paid traffic because then you have all these, you know, um, testimonials, referrals, you know, um, social proof, mm-hmm. right? Both of the content and then you can now narrate it. Now you know that there's a greater need and a very focused and specialized effort in that and that's how you can further figure out how you want to systemize from a paid traffic source, right? For your targeting, you know, where they live, what source of traffic. It may not be Facebook, maybe it's Instagram, maybe it's somewhere else, right? You can identify where they live. It's more focused, right? Mm-hmm. So that's how we say that the first step is to then identify that viable market, right? Um, you're already taking a lot of referrals. The question is identifying which is the right client for you ideally. Sure. So in in this particular instance, in my instance, <clears throat> I went from one niche to another because of the team that I built. Yeah. So now we're going after car dealerships for marketing, and we've done the numbers, and it's a massive market, and, yeah. and there's not a lot of <laughs> Effective marketers, like this is a nice way to put it. Yeah, in exactly. space. Um, so, what would be like your first advice to go into this new market? So, um, definitely look at obviously, you know, um, looking at lo- lo- local first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I would say that you know, figure out. I would say this: how many clients you have to reverse engineer, right? Is how many clients do you need to get to a certain type of scale that you would like to be per month, mm-hmm. right? And then, right. So, when you make that target, just hit that on a local region, dominate that area. Right? It's all billable, it's not gonna happen overnight. Once you have that, right, that's a good chunk of clientele, a book of business that you can have to support your business, then you can afford to then have the marketing spend, invent, reinvest on that, and then focus on paid traffic. Mm-hmm. Right? And expand your regions. Like you may dominate a certain county <laughs> or city that you're in, expand to the next city. Because car dealer shows are very like right now, if you were to dominate that industry and that then you know for a fact then you can go to the states and you know, expand your, your target demographic mm-hmm. in your region, um, but dominate your current region. So, <coughs> what's the step by step process to actually do this? <laughs> yeah, so uh, obviously, you know, of course, there's many ways to do it, but like, I want to see your, your frame. Yeah, so I, I, it always comes down to so, in every service based organization, what do you think is the number one limiting factor? Time. Well, it's time and resources, people, mm-hmm. right? Say you have an agency of just five people. Mm-hmm. But then your goal is to hit 10 clients. You don't have the scale or support to do that. It's like the chicken and egg. So, tr- true in most cases. In this case, <laughs> I actually do. Because right. I've, I've partnered up with someone for, to handle fulfillment. Right. No, no, that's good. I'm saying that's the very first step. When I think oh, about okay, like, okay. the scale, right? It's making sure that do we have the resource capacity to support mm. the current work? Mm-hmm. And if I were to bring a new client, is that going to damage? It was going to affect that current capacity. If everyone's 100% full capacity, yeah. I can pick up another client. So you have to kind of work through the scope of that client and then bring on more people or whatever work you can do to fulfill it with your existing staff, right? But if you have a strategy in place where you go in and support, you know, one client at a time, dominate that first, right? And then you have a, a good foundation where you can start to afford to do pay traffic. So it's all about sourcing results. Like um, you have to identify which kind of car dealerships. 
the large ones, the small ones, they're, they're everywhere broad. You have to identify what that market is first, Yeah. right? And if you're going for the big dogs, you have to get, that's all you focus on. Sorry for all the noise on my phone here. <laughs> but it all comes down to always say is niching down as far as possible in that market and just dominate that. Mm-hmm. And get as many, you know, because in consulting, right, in big, big companies, it's all about credentials. Mm-hmm. That's why they go to. So you have to kind of build that. Once you build a healthy flow, then you can start to invest and really go through and, and, and go after all these bigger dealerships, do paid traffic, and that's what will come and attract you, mm-hmm. targeting the right people, right? Mm-hmm. And knowing who to target in that space too. Yeah. Um, but the first step I would say is you have to build those set of credentials and because at the end of the day, people care about results, mm-hmm. right? They don't care about what you offer or anything else. It's like, have you delivered results and what are these, these testimonies and clients that you have? And can you refer them? Because a lot of times in consulting, big, we're talking about multi-million dollar deals, we actually have clients who agree to be a referral. Say, if you have any questions about the work we do, go talk to them. Let, let them talk for us, mm-hmm. right? They know we deliver. It's like, we know we can fix your problem, mm-hmm. right? And we've done similar projects with the scale. Here's an example, right? You, you feel free to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Get their feedback from it. Yeah, I guess my question is, like in, in my case where I have, I have the credentials, um, what's the process to get their attention? Oh, okay. Like, do I start cold calling people? Do I? So cold calling is one, right? Um, the, that's always the traditional way of doing it. So you have cold calling, if you're Aussie, you're paid traffic, you know, that's nothing new, right? Mm-hmm. But you have to ask yourself, what is, it, what, even if you did invest in a cold calling thing, what is the one, we all know this, like, what, what's a lead magnet, right? Why would they even bother to even use it? Do they even understand they even need it, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think that's what you have to kind of prepare just to, in order to attract that audience to begin with, mm-hmm. right? It's similar to having an email subscription. I say, you know it's funny? In digital uh, marketing, like it's the same process of acquiring a new client, right? Building the audience, educating that you need the service or whatever it is, throwing out some kind of lead magnet for it and have a sequence of information to say you need it and maybe book a call, right? Mm-hmm. Or let us have a reach out free consultation. Let us look at your business, right? It's nurturing that audience, building that audience. So if you get a list and you get a bunch of cold callers, they're basically building your list. Think of that that way. They're the ones who are just building a list for you, right? Or appointment setters, right? Mm-hmm. Risk-free, get them to set you an appointment to go talk to us and then do a free audit. Um, this is something I kind of actually talked in, a, a, in a, another interview about. The, the lowest barrier of entry to get your foot in the door is offer some kind of audit. Let me look at your business. And it's almost like pro bono, mm. right? Let me go through it, tell you <laughs> where it is, and then when if they if you deliver really good results and they see the value in it, and then you can start talking about business, you know, and say like, you know take take a chance or take a risk on on us. There's no harm and set reasonable goals, but offer something, right? Um, so it's always like that. First, you have to, you know building list, but cold callers, equipment setters, right? Very different, um, and obviously, you know, hitting up and talking to you know the people that you're already working with. Get connected to whoever. That's again, the referral is the one way to build that foundation. But then the other stuff won't matter if they don't know who you are. Mm. So you, your process seems to be referral first, um, then paid traffic. Yeah. And then anything in between is <clears throat> optional. Yeah, paid traffic could be you know you talk about appointment centers and stuff like that too. They do a good job too. You just want to get them on a call and just talk. Mm-hmm. 
right? And if you could do it ideally in person, I don't know if you do it virtually in person with the dealerships, with some of the managers at the dealerships or not, do you do it in person? Uh, I'm playing with the idea. I would like to not, but I'm also, I have no ego, but yeah. yeah. In person better, I will go in person. You know what's <laughs> funny, really funny, we talk, I actually talked to someone on the plane about this, is that <laughs> we live in a digital world. What gets lost is that personal touch. So if you go out of your way, mm. to it stands out that you're a real person that you really want to look at it and give an example. You can even walk through the dealerships and looking at the way they do their business and asking them about their foot traffic. Like, how much foot traffic do you get per day? Like being there, right? What's your slowest days? What's your busiest, busiest days, right? Mm. Now, I can't guarantee you anything, but if I were to help, like, what would make a difference? Like increasing this by 50% foot traffic or attention, you know what I mean? Like you can figure that out yeah. by being there. And ask those questions in person, and basically showing your authority, you know, authority that you really understand. They're like, speaking their language, right? Their lingo, mm -hmm. um, and so saying, saying that, you know, f figuring out what their most important thing about their business deals. Maybe it is the foot traffic. Maybe it's something else. Yeah. Maybe they just want to market their deals somewhere mm -hmm. and get more people just to call. Right? Yeah, yeah. So <coughs> it's interesting because in the dealership space, it's actually um, the number of inquiries they get online. Right. Right. So. By narrowing down, every dealership might be different, right? Maybe they don't have a problem with inquiries, but maybe they have a problem with conversion. Who knows, right? Mm. Um, but like, which is, could be a separate problem. But the whole point is that uh, is uh, another example why that's important to do a little bit of that. You might have to do a little bit about that versus like your thing virtual, right? With trade traffic, is that you know, in, in consulting, they actually made a difference in when you do large multi-million dollar deals where. Um, I've brought a lesson in consulting, right? And he shared me the story, and it's completely true everywhere. They have multiple consulting companies bidding on this massive deal. Mm -hmm. The reason why they won this was because he flew, this was in India, he flew out for one day, went there for one day for one hour meeting, did their pitch, and left the same day. He didn't even stay the night. He went all his way flying 20 plus hours to meet with them. Guess who won the deal? He did. He did. <laughs> Because the fact that everyone else, they 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 said, like, "Wow, you you really went out of your way to come out here." Mm -hmm. You see, so like it's just those little bit, like yeah, that personal sacrifice of doing that mm -hmm. um, can win that client, right? Um, because something about the in person, like seeing you, builds trust. Yeah. Right. Um, I've always preached this. We, we teach this in closing too, and it's also Jordan Belfer is also famous for it. Is you know, there's only three reasons why people buy from you or even use your services, right? It's it's brand, right? Do they trust your brand? Do they trust your product and services? And do they trust you, right? Mm. Um, at the end of the day. Because they can, you got the perfect brand, perfect product, service, but they don't trust you, they're not gonna buy. Yeah. It's just like when you go to a car dealership, actually. Yeah. I love that car, love the product. I'm here at this particular dealership because I love your brand, but I hate you as a salesperson. I don't wanna buy from you. Mm. Give me another salesperson. You see, yeah. So that's the only reason why it would stop someone from buying it, right? So if you think about it, think about your agency too. Like after you do like appointments or cold calling and get a list of people that you want to hit up, maybe ex experiment. Get some people to go out there in person to say, hey, would you be open up to meet on X number date? Get them to commit to a date. Just have a conversation, right? Mm -hmm. But that's a whole separate topic of how you want to posture that conversation on the agenda, what you want to talk about to make it more beneficial during the time. Yeah. But, you know, you want to make sure that, you know, you can, you can really 
earn their trust. That's the only reason why someone would ever use your services, right? If you want to increase your conversion. So make that time count that you when you talk to someone who's brand new or a stranger on the street, they don't trust you, right? Yeah. How do you earn their trust? That's the only reason why they would ever work with you. Yeah, we got no like and trust you. People always forget that. They always focus on the money. They always focus on the client, that they're just a thing. <laughs> they're just a revenue-driven object, right? Mm-hmm. But you really have to spend that time, so. That's interesting, yeah, man, for sure. And you, you've had some experience in sales, um, right? That was your first, or I guess, First thing that you had this time around quitting, um, what was your experience doing high ticket closing? Yeah, so it's different. So uh, I've always been B two B, so going to the B two C space was entirely new because there's a lot more emotional connections when it comes to the buyer, mm-hmm. right? The customer, because you're dealing with people versus businesses, right? There's overlap, but the type of questions and getting people to commit is far more emotional from the BDC level. So that's why from a high ticket closing perspective, that's where a little bit of a of a new landscape for me. Because mm-hmm. then now I need to spend more time about the human psychology about why people buy. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that's a little bit different. What were some common emotional patterns that you saw? You know, it's really interesting. It wasn't necessarily the patterns. I had to reapply the same thing that was taught for B2B in terms of and we kind of briefly talked about it, about the decision-making process, right? About the different types and styles. I just have to refocus that from a, from a business standpoint to more of a personal standpoint. Can you, can you ex- uh, explain more on that? The right, so, so for example, oh, the four styles? The four styles, yeah. yeah. so the four styles is that, um, if you kind of imagine a quadrant, we were taught, it was actually, I can't call this my own, this is what we were trained. It's from Tracom. Um, usually it's a paid training for enterprise. Um, it's not something you can just do online. It's not like those personality tests. It's really to help you understand how executives or key people make decisions, right? Um, it's a quadrant. So I kind of imagine like a you know, four blocker. I call it four blocker. And the top right is your driver, you know? And then you have top left is your analytical. Bottom left is your amiable. Bottom right is expressive. There are opposing styles, meaning that if you have two people in that room trying to make a decision, they will, they will butt heads and conflict, right? And the whole objective is, is to understand their style so you can accelerate the decision-making process. That's all that means by recognizing that. So someone who's like, say, uh, a driver, if you're working with an executive or any person in that style. That's me, by the way. But, oh yeah. My whole team was like, you're a driver. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> because all you care about is, I don't care how you do it, I just care about the results. Yeah. That's it. Right? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting when you mention that because this test, the way it is, is that you don't personally like evaluate yourself. It's your coworkers, the people you work with. Because how you are at, um, at work is uh, an accurate reflection of how you, because you make a lot of decisions at work. Mm-hmm. Right? And so when you map yourself out by understanding that, then you know that, hey, I'm, I'm not going to waste your time, you know, giving you all the details. You just, only care about getting the end result. Mm-hmm. You don't care how I do it. Yeah. See, so that's that's how you make decisions, right? And it's funny because you, you mentioned like the way you judge yourself and then the way other people perceive you. Because I was like, oh, I'm analytical, and then yeah, everyone on my team was like, uh, no, I think you're a driver actually. <laughs> yeah, see, exactly, right? So it's always opposite from when when people first take the the, the training. Um, and but you also understand that there's also this other factor on the the x and y axes is that. You have um, emotions and you have um, uh, time, right? The people who are more analytical are on the far left of the quadrant, 
they take more time because analytical needs all the data to make information. Amiable needs to consult with people, get other people's feedback. They're more inclusive, so that takes time. On the far right is when you have less time. They like no, now I want results now, or you know, let's just they take action, right? So there's less time. So by understanding the urgency, right, of how they make decisions, you have to respect it. So I work with someone that's analytical. If I know that I need them to make a decision on Friday, guess what? I send that information Monday, right? <laughs> you have a week to digest this material mm. and you set expectations. Um, if you have any questions or anything else, we'd like to get all resolved on Friday, but here's the material. If you have questions along the way, we'll be happy to answer it. But at the end of the day, the goal is on Friday, we'll come up with a decision mm. and then move forward from there, right? Mm. You don't necessarily have to do it with a driver. They'll make a decision on the spot. So. Yeah. So it's just one of those type of things that you kind of have to navigate, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one example of like really understanding the, the um, what we call social styles of the workplace. Mm -hmm. So what are the other two? The amiable and expressive? Yeah. So amiable is obviously someone who, before they make a decision, they like to run it by people all the time. They may know the answer, but they like to get a collective decision from everyone, and they're very inclusive, mm -hmm. right? And so they're more emotional because they care about other people's feelings and opinions. That's why they're on the bottom. So on the very bottom, oh yeah, the other scale, right? The, so on the, the top portion, less emotions, mm -hmm. right? The bottom portion, all emotions. Mm -hmm. That's why expressive and amiable, they're more emotional people, yeah. right? They care about what other people think. Um, so amiable uh, is all about getting feedback, everyone else before they come to a collective decision. I feel like it's right for everyone. Mm -hmm. And then expressive is all about building connections. They want to feel good and talk to you about stuff and, you know, like, how's the weather? How's your kids? They like to start off with that. They don't like to get down to business, mm -hmm. right? And so they're actually hard to navigate the conversation because they will go all on a tangent all the time, <laughs> right? They're just all workplace. Um, <laughs> but if you start off building that rapport, right? And then it opens them up, and then you can then get them to focus on making that decision. But that's what's really important to them first. So it's, it's, they're very relationship, very expressive, mm -hmm. very emotional. So yeah, <coughs> social styles, we have the top, less emotional, uh, analytical, and driver. On the bottom half, we have uh, amiable and expressive. Is there one that's better than the other? No, they're all, there's another scale, another factor. It's called versatility. It doesn't fall on that grid, but what it is that your ability to adjust to each style. Mm -hmm. So there's no right or wrong styles. The whole concept is really understanding the other person's style and taking advantage and understand how to position when it comes to making a decision. Mm -hmm. um, the versatility score comes with experience. Because you're more aware of their style, you start to adapt to their style. And by adapting to their style and decision making, you, begin, you can become that style too at any point. So uh, I'll give you a funny example. When I was being here the last time and I asked him what style do you think I am, and he said analytical. That's funny. I'm not. I'm amiable. Uh -huh. As an example, right? Because I, I can display that characteristic very naturally. Mm -hmm. I can also be a driver if I want to. I can also be very expressive. Mm -hmm. um, but that comes with experience because I work with a lot of those people and understand how to make decisions. Mm -hmm. I can mimic them. By matching your style, you build those relationships. Yeah. Right? And yeah, I, I think this is one of the main reasons I reached out to you uh, when we met at that party was because... I saw that you had like a higher level of like interpersonal relationships mm -hmm. and I think that came from you being amiable. Um, were you always like that? And if not, how did you develop that? No, I was very introvert. Um, 
And so I think that, uh, <laughs> I think it was, came down to, as I was developing and when you struggle, I realized that was my default mode because I was always developing. I was getting feedback from people. So I think it was, <laughs> excuse me, um, it was a natural inclination as part of my personal development growing up mm. because I didn't have that much guidance or mentorship when I was growing up and I was getting a lot of feedback from people. So naturally, by default, when I make a decision, I ask for people's feedback. That's so fascinating that you say that. Um, I would say like two years ago when I was mm. like quitting school and like quitting my job, I was in a heavy feedback mode. And there was like a year's worth of time where I didn't even recognize myself because I became so introverted. Mm -hmm. and I lost that like initiation that I always had. Um, so I completely get what you're saying. Um, it took me a very long time to get out of that actually. Yeah. I wasn't happy in that place because mm -hmm. it felt like really awkward. Um, <clears throat> so what was your process for like getting out of that? And did you find that necessary? Because some people like being in that place. Well, for me, it was more about, um, I think the most important thing in any type of personal development is awareness, right? Like this is who I am naturally. And then understanding like this is my place and accept it. And it's like, well, how do I become that? And then, you know, they said that <laughs> everything you want is on the other side of fear. And I was afraid to be that person. Uh -huh. But at the end of the day, you have to develop and understand and, and observe. Um, I'm always about being a better listener and looking at how those people manage or talk and communicate. Mm -hmm. And then you start to mimic it mm -hmm. and, and be uncomfortable about it. Like, I wasn't comfortable in telling people, I didn't care how it's done, I just needed to be here. <laughs> Right, mm -hmm. and, and it's all about practice and being offhand. Like I, I like to know all the details or to get other people's opinions, but then you start to practice it. And once you start to master it, then you can move on to the next thing. So that's how I did it. It was more okay. That was my weak point. I need to work on that, and, and I get feedback that I need to be more firm. Mm -hmm. And so I had to practice being firm. Yeah, and that's that's how I develop it over time. So, <clears throat> did you ever struggle with being? I guess, are taking too much feedback in and not applying it? Enough? That's one of the flaws of it being amiable. Um, <laughs> creating confusion. Because um, you have too, too much information mm -hmm. and feedback, you don't know how to, like, where to go from there, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I had to work on narrowing it down to what am I trying to achieve and if that feedback applies, right? Like, without support. It's more about that, that laser focus, okay, what I'm trying to achieve at that time. You know, when I make that decision, because this is all about making decisions, right? How do mm -hmm. I come up with a decision? Yeah. And so, I was like, great opinion, totally unrelated. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, like, okay, let's get it. That, that's not gonna help me get there. You know, it's 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 being understanding that you know what I'm trying the end goal. So it's like building focus and decisiveness yeah. at the same yeah. time. Yeah. But that's a development point for like some of the email people is, you know, honestly, sometimes we already know the answer. Mm -hmm. It's like only, I would say if. If Tom were to ask Tom what would he would say, like you, you already kind of know the answer, but you're looking for affirmation to some degree. Yeah. You get a collective, if the majority do agree with you, then you know you made the right choice. Yeah. Right? And that's where a new goal. It's interesting because even as a driver, I struggle with that because like I was so attached to the result that if I came short, I would beat myself yeah, up yeah. to a point where I wouldn't move yeah. forward. Yeah. And you have to learn to kind of like let, let that go, right? As that style because Every style has their restrictions, but in order for you to be a better leader or to understand how people make decisions with your team, with people that you work with above you or below you, you have to be able to be versatile and adjust and mm -hmm. learn to let go.
right? I mean, the most common problem with a lot of people who are really good at what their one thing, they have a problem letting go and give it to someone. It doesn't have the same quality of work. Yeah. But really, I always ask myself, is that, <laughs> is that the end of the world if they make that mistake? Is it very detrimental to the business if, they, is, if it's not perfect to, you know, to the mm. team, right? The big picture, is it really gonna blow things up out of proportion? Mm. Probably not. It may not be done the right way, but as long as it gets the outcome within the time frame that you expect and expectations that you set, it doesn't matter, mm. right? It's all about the destination, right? Not necessarily the process of getting there, as long as you can get there, you know? Um, <clears throat> do you think your consulting background kind of helped you measure your results as you're moving along? Because I feel like most people, including myself, struggle with that. Where yeah, you maybe lose track of the time frame. The, the goal wasn't clear enough. You're not we talk about measuring results on the one particular so task. For instance, like, all right, I want to grow my agency <coughs> to five figures or something, and then I'm trying to get there, and I'm being distracted by you know this, the day to day being in the trenches. Um, I feel like your consulting background really gave you that discipline to keep checking in, structure your KPIs and your structures. Yeah, I actually, I talked to someone about this recently. Doing that about measuring as I. When there's an increase in the attention and priority, if your priority is to hit 5,000 per month, as mm -hmm. an example, your cadence needs to increase because it's a priority. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to meet, uh, look at it once a week. You need to probably even see it three times a week. Mm -hmm. You see, measure it, like understand what's going on in the early stages of making sure you get comfortable that you're on track. The moment you start to feel you're on track, reduce the cadence, right? Wow. To once a week. That's so fascinating. I was literally thinking the opposite. I was like, okay, increase the cadence so I have more time to put my head down and work. Well, because of the priority, right? If it's truly a priority of hitting that 5,000 month, you gotta make it a priority that you make sure you hit it, right? Mm -hmm. And so by putting it to your schedule and blocking off those periods of time to reevaluate with your team and everything else, like the issues, again, it's the extreme. I'm saying that increase the cadence that you think is reasonable. What I'm saying is that increase the attention Mm -hmm. Until you feel comfortable that you are on track, yeah, and you may be comfortable with once a week, right? It all depends on how aggressive the goal is and how many issues you or hurdles you have to overcome. Mm -hmm. So if I were to sit at your business and say, "Okay, your goal is to hit five thousand, what's stopping you from hitting it?" And you give me a laundry list of twelve things. Gosh, we gotta meet three times a week until we address every single one of these problems, so you can get to the five thousand. Mm -hmm. You have too many issues here. Then I'll be asked. Then I'll ask you. How soon do you want to hit that five thousand? You're like by next month. Well, you know what? You're gonna to have to have the, the cadence. You know, you have to meet a lot more and resolve this. Now, you told me six months. Okay, your cadence might be a little bit less. Yeah, yeah. So it, it all comes down to your level of urgency, how you want, how aggressive you want to hit those goals, and the priority. Are you familiar with eighty twenty? Pareto. The Pareto rule. Yeah. So, in that instance, what I've always taught, been taught, is you make a list and like you try to hit the leading domino effect. Yeah. Hit the three that I've accomplished that instead yes. of going through it individual uh, piece by piece. Do you agree or disagree there? So the A20, think of it this way. 20% of the effort was done up front for you to do it to the point where your cadence is reduced. Now it's just the rest is done, right? Your mm. hold is automatic because you put that upfront 20% effort to get that done. Fascinating. Right? Look at the bigger picture, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus you're beating yourself up for the whole year trying to, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you're stretching it. You're putting all this time and effort, mm. right? So it's all about doing it right up front mm -hmm. with the maximum number of effort yeah. and look at the bigger picture. Don't look at the actual task individually saying that 
wow, it's taking too much effort, right? But you have to look at it long term. We look at a business. You have to look think long term, big picture, right? And so that's how you would like um, know that, hey, 20% of the time is done up front. And then now you know for a fact you can automate and systemize the process. And then now it's like less, less effort. Now it's truly 20% of the effort to get the 80% of the results. Interesting. I mean, so that's why I've been putting in like 10 hour days. So I'm like, that's how I'm prefacing it for myself. Like I need to put in this amount of effort to have that on the back end later. Right. Right. Um, but I guess with that whole list approach and, and the framing behind it, I'm worried that like, what if I spend all this time on the wrong priorities? Like how do you know? Well, that's why, that's why um, when you map it out, when you say, hey, 5,000, I'm going to say, hey, Ronnie, like what's stopping you from hitting that right now? Let's take a full inventory of what that's all that is. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it could be clients, people, whatever it is. And you list them all out and you just have to put a strategy game plan of resolving it and then committing a time, time frame of when it's going to get done. Mm. That's it. And that's what you meet on the cadence, right? Tracking it, right? Yeah. The ones that say, okay, so these less urgent activities, it's not a huge big deal right now. I could wait two, three weeks to get that, but we'll work on it. You, you assign someone, this one, depending on your size of team, you get everyone to work on a piece of the, the problem, right? And then you get updates from everyone. Where do we stand on this number one priority that we have now, right? And you check in on that more frequently. Mm -hmm. And the ones that are kind of cruising along, you probably check, you know, once a week, every other week, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Because you know that's not as urgent, right? So you put a game plan together, and then you have a, a timeline. Yeah. When it's all said and done, when is it truly done, right? Because mm -hmm. each one will have a different deadline. So it's all about, it's almost, this is where I kind of got from the product delivery and management of, your goal is to hit 5,000, right? Sometimes you said that by, by say three months from now, you want to hit it five months from now. Okay, let's work reverse engineering. Let's get all the pieces, you know, all on the table mm -hmm. and then figure out how to take care of them, put an action plan against them. Yeah. And then, then you start to monitor, right, the progress. And you sign people, owners, accountability, delegate whatever, and all you do is check in to say, where are we at with that, right? And you're working mm -hmm. towards it. Right, and you know, like maybe of those twelve things, I say, well, these three things will take most of your time. Then you start to do time management. Mm -hmm. like, I can't do all of these by myself. So, can I? Is there any of these things I can give to a team member to handle mm -hmm. simultaneously? Right, and I just focus on these bigger pieces. Now you're more focused. You just only focus on that. Yeah. Right, and and all these pieces will fall into place to achieve that one goal of hitting five thousand dollars per month. Yeah. So. Yeah, I would think even some of those tasks you can eliminate or like push back, right? Right, they might never be urgent. But yeah. it's good to put it all on the table. You realize this bottom half, we could live without, right? Or we're willing to sacrifice that in order to get there. But that really could be a, a, a direct uh, effect to the 5,000 goal. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not. Yeah. Right? Maybe it could be doing later. You could still hit it, but it could be done later without it, mm -hmm. right? Fascinating. Okay. And... I know when we spoke before, you really wanted to work in the like startup space, in the digital marketing space. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that now? I love marketing. I love sales. <laughs> it's funny. Um, long time ago, I told my one of my best friends, I said, I want to get in sales. He goes, why don't you? It's because I didn't want to reset the clock you know, and learn and become a salesperson. Mm. So, so. It was, a, it was a space I was always in, so what I ended up doing was I worked up the ranks where you get involved in sales and then still being paid in the process to learn, you know, when it comes to like B2B, large proposals and everything else, you get involved with the process, 
Yeah. So once I learned and got in there and like burn out because of the, doing that, then I was like, okay, now I get to choose what industry I want to be in because before I didn't get to, right? And that's how I landed with, let's focus on, let's stay in the marketing space, let's stay in the sales space, you know, hoping business grow. Because I truly believe that, you know, businesses are designed to solve problems, right? Yep. And, and that's what I love about it. If I can help businesses or people solve problems, then you feel like you made a direct impact, right? Just truly believe believe in their product services, and they really can bring results. So at the end of the day, and you change their life, you grow their business. Yeah. So that's why I decided to go that route versus any other. And plus, honestly, I think it's a foolproof industry. It's it is a future proof skill and industry, right? Sales and marketing would never ever go away. And the fact that we we are taking advantage of the digital online world is like you 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 basically learn how to evolve, right? Mm. Right, that's like the old tactics of marketing back in the days. They carry on, but now it's a totally new platform. Right, mm-hmm. much broader reach, much more. You know, so I like that. So I'm all about technology. I love looking at, you know, new strategies, new approaches, new methods. Right, and when you go digital, it's pretty much a blue ocean. So, so <clears throat> on that, you've had a ton of experience in corporate. Like, are there? Old marketing principles that people are overlooking. I think you kind of touched on this with like the the interpersonal connection. But is there anything else that people digital marketers are like really just overlooking because they're so gung ho about the new things? Yeah, I mean, it's, it really comes down to relationships, right? When you get a client, don't look at them as you're just a thing. You're just a revenue driven project, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, they're partnerships. I always tell, uh, when I advise, it's like, it, when I go on calls with new clients and the agency, right? I say, at the end of the day, we want to make this a long-lasting partnership. We want to work directly with you. We want to know your business. Right? We want to grow with you, mm-hmm. right? We don't want to just solve this one problem right now. We want to solve all your marketing problems. We want to be like your sole provider or outsourcing yeah. for your business. That's the goal, right? So it all comes down to those relationships. Those are like, kind of like the old methods, but that carries over. Because now we're in digital space, it's hard to make those kind of connections, right? But once you build that foundation, it becomes your culture, your values. Then you can, then you start to build this massive brand, and then you can just you don't have to worry about it. Your trust has been built, and people will just come to you mm-hmm. because of the reputation, right? That you truly are a relational business, and you care about your clients. Yeah. Right. At the end of the day, I'm curious. You know, you've you've obviously had massive results for these massive companies. But when you're off on your own doing it now, do you believe that you can get to that level or do you have self-doubt? Like what's your Well, I don't it? want that because with that level comes a lot more responsibility and accountability. And once I live that lifestyle, I just don't want that, mm-hmm. right? And so it's all, it goes back to that whole very beginning about understanding your personal lifestyle and vision, what you want it to be, right? Could you do it? Yes, but should you do it? That's a different question, right? Mm. It's, so for me, I'm okay to be here, right? I don't, I've been there, I don't wanna be there, I'm okay to be here. In fact, when I interviewed my job years ago, I used to uh, um, respond to this, the, the, the interview question saying, Tom, where would you like to be in five years? As if I don't know, but all I know is that I want to reach the highest level of stress, knowing that I went through my full potential, so that I can figure out and take a step back saying this is where I'm comfortable with. Mm. So that way you never feel like you're in a situation in a job that have, have I tried enough? Have I done enough? Have I, you know, like you're always questioning yourself. I never wanted that. I want to hit my peak and like, okay, okay, this is it, right? And like, this is where I'm good. This is where I'm happy with. 
So that, that's really where I come down to, right? And life isn't driven by money. That's what people think, right? It's not. It's, it's the lifestyle that you want. So, wow, that's crazy. So do you think, like, you're done growing in a, in a business sense? You're always growing. Uh-huh. It's just that, you know, it's, it's a type of growth, right? People think growth is related to money. Yeah. And size, it's not. I'm always learning. I'm always growing, right? You can just innovate within that level, mm-hmm. right? You can master that area, right? Mm-hmm. It's more about um, expanding your horizon and that focus on the vertical. Yeah, that's, that's a super interesting approach because I've always thought like, I want to build businesses and dominate the world because I just see it going up, up yeah. and wide. Yeah. But you're saying like, just the same one, your level and just go wide essentially. Yeah. And just crush it. Yeah, just, just, yeah, because that's the level you're happy with. Mm-hmm. And if you could just broaden your exposure of that, you just go be even more happier, mm-hmm. right? Because so many times have you heard that people, I mean, we on some of these offers that we're on, there are some really successful multimillionaire people who are previous business owners. We ask them, why are you still doing this? They're like, because I don't want the responsibility and accountability of having all that uh, ownership anymore. They're happy here, and they just want to stay sharp. They want to still be in the business, mm. but they just want to keep their skills sharp. And they lived it. They don't want to do it. They always scale back, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting perspective because at the end of the day, it's, it's not about like, total massive growth and responsibility or everything else you have to always ask yourself why why are you working why are you doing this mm-hmm. right and then that helps define where you need to be in, in this little elevator right yeah you know, get off so can you on like a slightly different note can you tell me a, a time when you really screwed up a project yeah the very first project a consultant <laughs> <laughs> very first day very first project and it was a big deal for me Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I was, I was a developer and stuff, and I overlooked a certain piece, a certain component in the system. They went live with it, and long story short, it cost the client seventy thousand dollars to fix it. Wow. Of that, yeah, to me that was a lot of money. It was a multi-million dollar deal. To to a lot of people, that was just like a small drop in the bucket for them. But it was a big deal for me, and I never yeah. made that mistake again. I I always do my due diligence, <coughs> and not realizing that the little thing that I didn't think was a big deal was a big deal when you went live with it, right? In the, in the grand scheme of things and um, the thing is though is that I learned from the company they took ownership of it it's their people it yeah. wasn't like it, it was him they own it but internally they just told me like what happened how did this happen and we went and fixed it but it cost them at the end of the day an extra $70,000 for that mistake yeah. right? but for when you work with a Fortune 500 company that's $70,000 is nothing but to me at the time at 22 you know, years old, I was like, oh shoot, I remember calling my parents, like, I just cost this client $70,000. And that's a lot of money when you come out of college, right? Yeah. So that was, that was one of my biggest mistakes with a client consulting. The, do, I guess the positive consequences of that still stay with you today? Yeah, I make sure I do my due diligence. I thought about every piece that we're missing anything. It kind of scarred me, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Let's look at everything. I don't need to be 100%. I just want to make sure we, we're 80% sure that we got everything covered mm-hmm. um, and we have a plan for it. Mm-hmm. Hence, that's where I came up with that model when we talk about the whole mapping. Yeah. Like we ident- like, do I have all the pieces and can we identify all the gaps? Because one of these gaps can cost you a lot of money, right? And mm-hmm. that's, that's where it came from, really. Got it. No, that makes a lot of sense, man. Um, and it's been super good. I have one last question. Sure. Um, I guess, no, I have two more questions. First question, um, if you could have a committee of three okay. help you make decisions for the rest of your life moving forward, they could be dead or alive, 
Who in the three B and why? <laughs> or board, I guess. Man, that's tough. So I always think uh, I always need someone who is. A, a, this is how I break it down with three. There's always an engineer, right? Someone who get the work done, right? Um, there's always a visionary, right? And then there's always the 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 the, the execution of delivery. The guy who actually do the work. Someone who could plan the work. Um, and then that was sorry. Ah. Um, so in that mind, I would try. I would say, for example, um, oh my gosh, um, the first one would be like say Steve Jobs, right? Visionary, everything else has a big picture, not afraid to break those borders, right? Um, and so I would have that, and then I would have someone who is uh, man, this is tough because that's my first one. I always follow. I think that um, the the engineer would be like Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. He's also a visionary too. Yeah. But in terms of like building it out, right? That that would be the second one. And then uh, they got like the really doer. I would say that would be you know I don't really need someone, but that would be someone who uh, is that you know when you talk about fast implementation, people who do the work really really quick, um, and get the, get things done. Um, honestly, I would I would probably say uh, like Mark Cuban. Hmm. Because he just gets it done. So if he wants something done, he'll find a way to get it done. Yeah. So. Cool, man. Um, I think I have a very similar three, except for the more human one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't necessarily like his style and his perspective, but when it came down again, the driver mindset, I don't care. I need to just get it done. Mm-hmm. So I know he will be able to get it done. He'll yeah. have to get it done. For yeah. sure. And the last question is, what would you tell your younger self? Man. I tell my younger self all the time. I would say take more risk. Um, I regret the fact that I didn't commit to that journey and always going back to consulting and force myself to figure it out and that all my limiting beliefs of why I went back to work are just excuses. Right? And there's always a way. And I said, when you're young, just figure out what that solution is. Don't just go back to the default mode because I quit several times and I just all I did was burn time. Now, Trade off this, I gain all this experience, but you can also gain all that experience when you're younger and you're growing, right? So I think my, my advice would be like, stick with it, just make it work, you'll be fine, mm-hmm. right? And I kept going back, so and I kept quitting. So that's what I would tell my younger self, just stick with it. It's huge, it's yeah. huge for, uh, yeah, I, I struggle with that all the time, thinking I'm wasting time, I'm impatient, uh, it's tough. Yeah. Well, man. Um, where can people find you? Man, I think Facebook is trying to use this. I'm still working on that. You're building other brands. You're not talking yeah. about it. So, uh, <laughs> that's pretty much the best way. And obviously, you know, email. Yeah. So. Cool, man. Thanks, awesome. so Thanks for having me. <laughs>